Unpacking Chrysalis, the art of being human. All right, here we go. That's episode number four. How are you doing today, Clayton? I'm doing pretty sweet, Benny. How are you doing today? Just back from the break? Energized? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm trying my best. I'm I'm doing just dandy, we'll say today. It's new year, new me. I say the word dandy. Uh, hey, who do we have on the podcast today, Clayton? We got John, John Edmonds, new car yeah. smell. New car smell. Very exciting. Uh, John's our first employee on the podcast that has is not a long-term employee. No. Uh, and John comes in today and he talks to us about space. I've made the joke before, so I'm going to do it again just to be consistent. I don't mean like space around you or interior design. John is a man that loves the new frontier, outer space. I always yeah. thought that John liked space because he drove a Tesla, but it turns out that John drives a Tesla because he likes space. That was a thing I learned today. <laughs> yeah, John loves space and he drives a Tesla. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was really a fascinating conversation, actually. As you know, I always let the guest uh, pick whatever they want to talk about, and then I just react to that. But it was a fascinating conversation with, um, uh, as you said, somebody who's newer to the company. Uh, so many folks that actually work here right now were hired during the pandemic. So we have uh, this this whole influx of people who um, are coming to this well-established company, but in a way that they're not, we're not able to get to the offices as much, right? Because we were home. But what I found fascinating about uh, John is, is, is this conversation uh, is an example of, of a, a person who was hired during the pandemic. So you don't have all the benefit of being in the office for years and catching the vibe from us, but he gets it. Like he really cleanly understands what's on offer here. The type of environment where we're asking people to uh, show up and, and, and participate and integrate their thoughts. And John gets that and he values that. And you hear this as he describes this, mindset and his perspective on uh, on uh, you know his worldview so it was quite fascinating and i really thought that was a meaningful uh, part of this conversation how new people can come in and just get it and see it and listen if you're a little bit like me and your only interest in space is maybe like star wars or interstellar don't worry. There's a bunch of lessons that John actually sprinkles in there. Uh, John comes from a, mm -hmm. a vast marketing background. So <laughs> to me, it was really interesting just to hear a perspective from someone that's lived an entirely different professional career uh, and then what they bring to the table. So I learned a lot about um, the benefits of communication, how how to bring people along on an idea. And, you know, uh, one of the things that I really enjoy about this is just the reoccurring theme of empathy that that John brings mm -hmm. to the table. Anyway, with that, um, we'll turn it over to the podcast. You can take a listen and then you'll you can catch Clayton and I on the other side and we'll wrap it up. All right, here we go. Well, welcome to the pod today. I'm going to be uh, chatting with a good friend, uh, John Edmonds, who sees space and humanity's efforts to understand it as a way to examine human potential and the potential to dream and pursue the seemingly impossible. Sounds like a big topic today, John, but I am really looking forward to our conversation today. You're a fascinating person, wonderful mind, and, and I know we're going to do some nice unpacking of these ideas today. So should we get at it? Absolutely. Let's have at her. So let's get uh, to know you a little bit better to start off with uh, just by going into Chrysalis Connect and seeing what your bio says. Are you comfortable with that? Oh, <laughs> a little public share? Sure. I guess it's pretty public. It's anyway. public now. That's <laughs> right. Public. All right, let's see what John says about himself here in uh, Chrysalis Connect. So, a once proclaimed hermit, I learned years ago of the powerfully energizing benefits of collaborating with other passionate people, creating something from nothing, raising each other's bars together, and feeling like we've all contributed to the world in sometimes even the smallest ways. The potential of it happening each day gets me out of bed every morning. Wow, that's pretty sweet. And then talk to me about branding, advertising, communications, that's your background professionally, problem solving, storytelling, future state, name the topic, I think we might get into some of that today, anything you're passionate about, 
look at you making space for others. Uh, mountain biking, I've heard quite a bit about that. And SpaceX or anything space related, frankly. So that's uh, and your favorite quote, Hunter S. Thompson. Life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty sweet. So February 15, 2022, so you're pretty fresh, uh, yet yeah, a veteran all at the I same time. I still have time. the new car smell. And you're in uh, our Vancouver office, so... That's the uh, that's the John that you present to your to people checking out Connect. So, um, anything you want to add to that bio, John, or any corrections that you'd wish you could make to that? That's that's truly it. It's uh, as as a self-professed not just hermit or at one point a hermit, but as one that I proclaim I'm just an internal student. That being open to learning of just the smallest things that we do not just individually, but it do as a group. And those things that are just so humbling and so gratifying yeah. and heartwarming. And, you know, I've shared this with you before, Clayton, but I'm not a birthday guy. I don't share people's birthdays. I don't go, hey, happy birthday, whatever. But when <laughs> when they do something, something even in the smallest way where they've just become incrementally a new person, and the older we get, we don't have those quantum leaps when we, you know, I've learned a new skill and I'm applying it now. And when you get older, they're, they're like little brushstrokes of learning things. But to be able to actually witness somebody else applying one of those little things that they've done to their lives and be privileged enough to actually see it and then tell them about it. I get emotional every time I have the honor and privilege of being able to do that. And it just reminds me each time that we're, we're all students and we're always learning. It's just that sometimes we think we want to turn ourselves off to that. And, but I just encourage everybody to be hungry for it. Yeah, that's great advice. I've definitely noticed that in, you know, when I work with you, uh, you're an observer of people a uh, lot taking lots of notes and i take lots of notes too but i think what's different about you is that you can find your notes later when you need to reference them and that's always something that impresses <laughs> me because you seem to bring up these notes at the at a time where it actually is meaningful and uh I, other thing i notice about you often is as you're observing uh you do have the patience to um you know just to wait and just to watch and and more deeply understand people and then you know when and if it's time you you share um do you see yourself as an observer john or how do you see that is this a characteristic of yours that i'm picking up on that's rings true or am i missing the boat here uh, uh you might be it's not something i practice it's just not the way i am I used to always have to take the subway in Toronto to work, you know, like 40 minutes, 45 minutes from a subway, to drive to a subway station, take a subway, then go to wherever and walk from there. And to people watch on the subway because I couldn't read because I'd get sick. So I just people watch. <laughs> and to watch, you know, ambassadors from 50 different countries interacting with each other and people coming and going and interacting and falling asleep and watching abject strangers come together on this little confine and with different cultures and different backgrounds and different problems and different states of mind, just interacting for brief periods of time and then departing from each other and just watching mm -hmm. that, that flow coming and going. I could, man, I could do that all day long. Yeah. It happens to be a, an interest of mine too, but I like Shawshank Redemption. Seen that movie mm -hmm. and how, just how much, um, almost like a character, this uh, this act of observation is in that movie. It just is such an important piece where uh, the main character just gets so much joy out of creating space and experiences for others, as opposed to getting overly focused on what, you know, what he can get out of uh, a situation. It's just an interesting um, statement on how a person can function. You know, rather than being transactional, you can really create space and uh experiences for other people i always found that that movie quite fascinating too but 
Well, and as much as we, as much as we think and do, there's a lot that we, without thinking about it, there's a lot of, of natural behavioral patterns and themes that we do in various situations. And for me, it's watching what is the human condition, what is sort of uniform across most of us, and what are the unique little things that an individual brings to that? Because it's that composite of those individual things that helps inform sometimes the flow, the ebb and flow, introducing a new concept, introducing a new message, introducing a movement. Like one of my favorite, favorite videos of this was I saw it on YouTube and it's a guy in Squamish and he's in a, he's at a, uh, some sort of outdoor music festival and the hill is covered in people and dude gets up and he starts clapping and moving his arms and bouncing back and forth. And you can see the people around him, like kind of looking like, well, what, uh, you know, what's with the dude? And he's a little strange. What's going on there? And then you see another person in the crowd go, I'm not letting him get, I'll call it picked on by everybody else. You're going to go up and join him goes up and joins him and there's one person and then slowly a second and then slowly a third and then a fourth and then the cool part is and i'm getting shivers just thinking about it the entire hillside barring two or three people are up and dancing because this one guy started that thing yeah and it was like why not what's the downside mm -hmm. of trying this it's not hurting anybody in fact it's celebrating it's celebrating something and just the the power of that moment of someone trying something mm -hmm. not being harmful about it being confident in themselves enough that they can do that and then yeah. that that effect it has on other people being going like maybe there's a hunger in there for that and this expression and this place and good on him for doing that that is crazy that you bring that up because that particular video has played a role in our company's development over the years. Um, oh, funny. Yeah. Uh, we used to watch that. CK used to, he brought that just to people's attention as a, a way to describe how uh, leadership works and how movements work. Uh, and, you know, the one of the punchlines was uh, a leader needs followers uh, a, a leader needs that second third fourth person to see the vision join in and uh that yeah that video played a powerful role in in just describing and helping uh, how, you know us have a visual in our minds about oh yeah leadership is about making things compelling for others leadership is about creating space for others to to be with you and follow you or join you in this journey and contribute their efforts uh, if, if 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 a person if nobody's seen that video we'll definitely put it in the show notes but the dancer leader guy doesn't tell anybody else how to dance he just uh demonstrates that, that let's dance i'm having a great time and it, and through that is inviting others to join him it's a it's a fascinating video we also do have a a person who uh, says he was there. Uh, Steve Dawson used to work here, and when we used oh. to talk about that video, he was he was at that uh, concert. But anyway, that's well, an int quite interesting, interesting. It should be brought into a leadership thing because oh. if you think about that one individual, that example, mm -hmm. where people like you could see them scoffing, and you could see them being ne even negative about it, and any yeah. leader that commits themselves and leans forward to something is going to be faced with adversity and is going to be faced with name calling and those types of things because they've made a stand because they stand out. Mm -hmm. And it takes those close followers who are supportive and there's like, like attracts, right? Like attracts like, and mm -hmm. to have those. And then, and then there comes this beautiful moment where the masses take it over and everyone owns it. But it, mm -hmm. but that first and and the world, our history is replete with these leaders that in some cases died paupers and you know ridiculed and so on because they were so different because they mm -hmm. were so outside the 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 acceptable norms that it's only long after their past that they're revered as being 
these incredible people. But I, I think, you know, the Nikola Teslas, the Winston Churchills, the so like, like people that threw through rocks and stones and so on. And yet mm -hmm. decades after they're gone and hundreds of years after they're gone, they're heralded as these soothsayers and these, you know, these, these leaders. And yet they put up with a lot of stuff in order to get there. But there were people around them in those close circles that, that started a movement. And then eventually, whatever that time frame is, where the masses, where, um, that human condition takes over because there is a there is a moving forward and there is a better a better condition. It's interesting that such a, a, a simple video can actually inspire such clarity about uh, how people work and uh, mm -hmm. also how much joy there is in just being uh, a person and being uh, with others and joining in. And anyway, that's fascinating. That's interesting you brought that up. I was going to um, dip into the branding advertising communications piece, uh, kind of how it reflects on or how it uh, um, brings out this ability of yours to, uh, I guess, to observe. That's an assumption I'm making, I guess. But um, how did the branding advertising communications lend itself so well to, to the way you look at things? And how did you navigate that as a, as a way to spend your time? That's a that's a great question because it literally started it started the very first job at twenty one working for a you know a global advertising agency as an art director was selling products right trying to sell products but selling you know concepts that people that clients would pay lots of money in order to introduce to a mass population. Uh, something that theoretically was different but as part of that you have to know who you're speaking to mm. you have to know that they call it target audience you have to know that target audience if you're doing your job well you have to know that target audience so intimately like you can almost picture them in front of you and it doesn't necessarily mean you know a 35 year old woman with two and a half kids uh, and whatever but it's doing it in such a way that you can understand what their life condition is each day and how it is what you're putting in front of them, what you're serving in front of them is something worthy of them taking 30 seconds in the case of a commercial uh, or 2.3 seconds on a, on a drive-by outdoor board mm -hmm. that you're imposing yourself on a brief moment of their time and making it worth their while. So that you have introduced yourself, your product, your service, yourself in a way that is applicable to their life. And there's a problem that they have. There's, I call it a pain. They have mm -hmm. something that they may not have even articulated. There's, you know, if you'd ask them, man, you know, and got them to say, if I could only have this, my life mm. would do X. Or if I introduced this my life would be able to boom, or if I were just able to this, this would be easier, or my kids would be happier, or my meals would be better, or my clothes would be cleaner, or yeah. whatever that is. There's a problem to solve. There's a problem to solve. And yet I can I can give you all the solutions in the world, but if I don't understand you and talk to you in a way that is, is applicable, that maybe you're even researching a way, you've gone so far as to start to research and and search out, you know, you've articulated in your own brain, but most people don't. And because they're living with this and they're caught up in, in the day-to-day -day so much that, you know, if it's a clothes detergent or it's a diaper or mm -hmm. if it's whatever, it's not a big ticket item that's occupying a whole lot of their time. But And yet when you offer this, this thing, they're like, something clicks and they go, that is going to actually change something in me or in my day, in my routine, yeah. that is going to help me, that is a benefit to me. And so what that means is in order to get to know that person, that psychographic, that information is you need to then do lots of research. And yeah, I need to w watch people. You actually need to see what the human condition is when, when you're applying to, when you're applying it to whatever the potential message is. So I know what the project is. I want to introduce somebody to something it could be a way of working like what we do mm -hmm. it could be a product a service or whatever but uh so number one thing is that that's my pro my project 
But two is I need to understand who it is that I'm taking that message to. Now I need to understand what is the funk or the pain or the thing that we're going to unlock and help them with. Now, what is my answer to that? In a way, and so I need to understand what is their language? How do they interact? What is their love language? So what are the short strokes mm-hmm. that they say to a like-minded person? Um, let's call it a 35-year-old woman who's looking for diapers and so on. And who, how does she talk to her friend? What is that language that they use with each other where it's just that knowing, you know, your head nods and you're like, oh, yeah. Bleh. So how do I come to that person with that language where I deeply understand them? I serve up the thing, that, the message, um, and deliver it in a way and then let them take ownership of that, as we were talking about earlier, where they've now the, the masses take this and then they try it. And if it is whatever product, service, concept, philosophy, whatever that is, if they try it and they and it answers their pain, they then start to import that into their life. And then if it's something that really makes a difference, they start to become an ambassador of that. Mm-hmm. They take ownership of that that linchpin moment message click whatever and begin to pass that along to their friends and they going back to the guy on the hillside you know somebody turning to the other one going hey you know one jumps up and is dancing and turns to the other and go hey come on it doesn't hurt let's come out let's this is fun mm-hmm. they become they've they've become the advocate the ambassador and they're now bringing along others to really share and share in it and mm-hmm. So that bit of observing and watching and understanding and not being assumptive. Number one, um, focus groups that we would be part of where you'd watch six, seven, eight, nine unknown, unconnected people walk into a room as total strangers and you'd be standing behind one way glass. And you watch how this group interacts. So they're coming in because they have they've been screened for like pains like issues, Mm -hmm. like needs. And yet they look completely different. They come from completely different places. And to watch how that group forgets quickly, they're told there's one way glass and that there's people sitting behind it. But to watch Mm -hmm. like an aquarium, to watch, forget what the content is. I used to love focus groups because I'd watch people interacting with each other in artificial circumstances you're here to talk about a toothpaste mm-hmm. yeah, great what's your what's your what's your what is your perspective on mint flavored versus whatever right yeah, like, yeah. and name a product i haven't worked on right <laughs> oh yeah i got a i got a date right okay but before you get into that watch how they interact yeah and watch how if there's i had a general rule and i think it's captured in books and so on too but i've just observed where it would be like someone will automatically come in and ascribe themselves the leadership role. Someone will ascribe themselves as that close follower, or maybe sometimes an ass kisser of that leader. And then on the other end, there's going to be someone that has come in and they're going to just be like, ah, whatever anyone says, I'm going to go the opposite direction. Right. And then there's going to be three or four or five people in the middle that they're going to sit and they're going to listen to a lot of that vocalization on either end of the spectrum and their heads are going to turn and they're going to listen and they're going to write notes like what you're, what you mentioned about myself. They're going to uh, take it in. They're mm-hmm. going to process. And I'm going to tell you 90 in my own experience, 97% of the time when one of those people speaks up and says, you know, I've been listening to this and I got something to say and they deliver it and you watch the leader you watch the detractor mm-hmm. turn and go, hmm, ah, I never, I never even thought about that. And then you have another one, another one in the, in the middle, those thinkers, those observers, those that have been watching and listening and processing and so on and deliver an opinion. It's amazing watching what happens within that group of no matter how polarized the folks come together and then agree, and then they go back to their positions again and they'll disagree or whatever on something else. Mm-hmm. But they've come to something based on observation, input, um, that those that take the time to listen and and not just hear, but listen. 
and deeply process it. And then when you watch, you literally watch them weighing it against what their own perspective is and going, what are the, what are the, you know, you can see them. What are the pros and cons of what they're saying? Does this change my perspective on this? Is this, is this important enough that I need to weigh in at the moment? And inevitably there comes a point where it's important enough that they need to say something. Mm -hmm. And we all have that capacity. It's something's important enough that we're going to say something. And it's just so incredible to watch when the group does that and those things and how, how a mindset, and then suddenly a group can, can align on something usually constructive and walk out of there and they leave like their best friends. That's the cool part. So they've established this real, this environment amongst themselves, this artificial environment, complete strangers. They've established this autonomously. They've established this environment of safety mm -hmm. and trust because they have a common thing that they're there to talk about. How cool is that? That is quite amazing. You have my, uh, it's quite interesting to listen to you talk about that. There's, I actually, it opens up, you know, maybe three different paths for conversation that we might have, uh, which is fascinating in itself. Um, I was thinking, um, one thing I'd like to know is uh, your, so this is, this, this one is called what, why not reach for the stars? This is mm -hmm. what the idea here is. And, and we've spent, quite a bit of time kind of unpacking, uh, you know, a worldview that you have or a perspective you have, uh, a way you gather, um, a, you know, the way, a way that you make sense of, of your environment. If it's fair, just ask you, how does, um, is there any relationship so far on what we're talking about on your Why Not Reach for the Stars? 100%. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a space nut. Yeah. When I say on a space net, you know, that can be taken so many different ways. And so I need to clarify that. So my first exposure to space exploration was I was an Air Force brat living in Greenwood, Nova Scotia. <laughs> and it was 1969. So I was five years old and I it was at, at my friend's house. And there was for any younger folks listening to this and mm -hmm. when we only had black and white TV and three channels. <laughs> but this, this event was happening in July of 1969, where I was sat down with my friend Doug uh, by his dad, sat in front of this black and white TV as this monstrous vehicle left what we came to find out was this thing called the launch pad. And just this watching this massive building release itself from the ground and start to take off. And I remember being five, like I get shivery still to this day, mm -hmm. uh, this moment of, of knowing that there was something big, like not just in, in scale and size, but something big that warranted us sitting in front of that. And I remember that him back to the leadership thing. They shunned him, and there's an interview where he's literally sort of in tears that he's disappointed that his heroes are actually shunning him. And meanwhile, now here in June of 2023, there's over 180 autonomous self-landing booster rockets, the Falcon booster rockets that have landed on these drone ships in the middle of the sea or back on land again. 180 times that's done that and proven, and now everybody that's in the space industry is making reusable rockets. Point being is there are so many people that are racing to do this now because they're seeing the possibilities, but it took somebody to, to do that so that it's changing a mindset. It mm -hmm. took somebody to put it out there and then on mass, people are now owning this and they're coming to it a different way. So as leaders, we can put a concept out there. And like you mentioned earlier, you've got people that are, we'll call them early adopters or they're willing mm -hmm. to give that a try. To just be open, to create the environment that they're, that people are just open. So the dugout would be an example where I created an environment where it was safe, surrounded by people, but safe to that child, to that individual that I brought in and talked about so that the, mm -hmm. and it was trust and safety and so on. And to be able to then within that have the rest of the world's problems disappear and then to be able to serve up something and whether they take it or not to serve that up 
And then for them to make that decision to then act upon it. I, I say when I'm coaching or mentoring, I ask if someone wants to be, if they, if they are truly going to be coachable. So do you want to be coachable? What that means is, you know what, I could waste your time by, you know, giving you some ideas or some concepts and we can work some stuff out together. But if you're just going to walk away and you're going to elect not to do anything with that for you and for me, then don't waste your time. Don't waste mm-hmm. your time with me. But if if you're even the least bit open with some sort of support and I'll help and block and tackle for you at my own demise, because there's something there that I think you've got potential to do. And that they do it, you watch that change come over. And it's, I, I don't know if I used this already, but you know, they've just learned how to ride a bike and you can't unlearn how to ride a bike. They'll never be the same person again, right? Because they've agreed to be coachable. They've, they've agreed to, when I say coachable, you and I could be quote coaching each other. It just means that I'm listening to, I'm listening to your advice. And I'm going, you know what? You've got a different perspective on me. And, oh, Clayton might have a point there. What about if I actually take and institute that and try to see if that becomes a habit or it even becomes my muscle memory? Mm-hmm. Because he's, he's got a different perspective on me. And I appreciate that. But we've got this, we've got this environment of safety and trust amongst ourselves that, yeah, you can, you can say I'm a dumbass today. You can say, hey, dude, you were out of character today in that meeting. I'm not going to take that badly. I'm going to go, I, I respect and appreciate, and I've got this environment with you that we've, that we've got. I'm going to take that to heart and, and, and try to validate what was doing wrong, what was going on with me that I don't repeat that again. Mm -hmm. But you've, you've laid that before me going, it's possible for you, John, with your skills and so on to validate, you know, to, uh, audit what you did in that past meeting there. And if you want to do something with it or not, it's up to me to do those things. So from a lead, what's possible, you have the skills and it's putting those things together and it's how it's bringing that perspective to people and having, having that perspective. You know, if I had a request to the world, it's just like, can you chill for just like, mm, I don't know, three minutes and have a perspective that you're willing to consider treating people like yourself, um, being normal, not getting so cranked about stuff, building something together, and then put that against what they're po- what's possible. Like, and even put an example out in front of them, and then throw their own skills against that. I think like this is where the really cool shit comes out of nothing, and that's the cool part about being human. You know, um, I'm going back to space here. One of my one of my favorite examples, probably of this, like um, what is technically and skillfully possible getting people to space and then the humanity of it of the perspective the probably one of the only people in this entire world that makes me fanboy kind of giddy is chris hadfield um you know canadian (laughs) astronaut that has been to the space station three times and commanded it once he was telling the story at one of the conferences that i attended where He's doing a spacewalk on the outside of the space station. Okay, so first of all, getting a space station up there, what does that take? Secondly, mm-hmm. what is it, getting an astronaut there? Yeah. Now getting someone doing a spacewalk. He stand, he, as he explains it, he's holding on to the sp- outside of the space station with one hand, traveling at 17,500 miles an hour on the dark side of the Earth, <laughs> As with his do. leg with with his legs spread open, looking down between his legs at the Aurora Borealis going on down on the earth below him. Yeah. The the northern lights dancing like a like a kid hanging on the space station traveling at <laughs> seventeen and a half thousand miles an hour, looking down and going, Oh man, look at look at look at the northern lights. Yeah. That wouldn't have been possible without the skills and technology and so on. And yeah. yet that perspective of him still being able to take that moment amongst all the responsibilities of actually being able to enjoy it. Yeah. And and he actually believes that part of his life's mission is to talk about those experiences to help people understand the perspective from way from up there, yeah. looking down. And this and this stewardship that we all should have in taking care of our home planet. How cool is that? 
That is pretty amazing. I um, I keep thinking about um, what you're making me think about is that uh, you know many of us have access to similar resources to people around us, but it seems like the difference or that is is that uh, is the mindset in in where you can get to with those same resources that your neighbor has. Um, what do you think is applicable from these extraordinary uh, organizations and people? What is applicable in our day to day when we're we're not doing those uh, heroic, um, you know, humanity changing, humanity adjusting uh, adventures or scientific work in space? But there's a what is it about? what they're doing that we can bring or what do you bring to your day to day? Maybe it's easier to think of it that way. Um, uh, I used to hate when people used sport analogies, mm -hmm. hate it. I used to loathe it. Cause I, you know, it was like, I don't, I don't play the sport. I don't understand it. <laughs> you know, so why do you keep using it? And I guess it was mostly hockey and I was never into hockey much. Um, but but the more I was exposed to my own kids' teams and sport, and it actually helped and so on, it wasn't mm. about the sport itself. It was about the mentality. And mm. professional or little league, watching what they call the underdogs. Watching what happens when you have a team come on who have one, two, three star players, and the entire team defers to them. <laughs> And when one of those people gets injured, sick, whatever, how the team becomes discombobulated and doesn't know how to support itself. And then you watch, we call them the underdogs, which is everyone has everyone's butt. Everyone respects each other. And every and when someone's having a weak moment or a weak day, that the team sort of like water finds its level and they help buoy each other mm -hmm. and so there's a collective that comes together and they have to work harder they have to communicate more i call it you know when i watch the kids playing the sports i'd, I'd, I'd say to the kids at the beginning of the season watch the teams that are really good because they chatter more mm -hmm. than those that are um, two or three people led they chatter more. They're covering each other's peripheral vision. They're filling in the information for everybody else so that when you walk out as a shortstop, the, the third baseman, the second baseman, and the, the outfielder behind you are all being your eyes and ears for you. So you know exactly you can focus on the ball coming at you and you know one, two, or three. You know who's running to who, but it's all collective information that's coming at you. And you can make that decision. No one's making it. But you couldn't have made it without that collective help of, of those teammates. Those underdogs also have to do that every single day. They may or may not win, and there's probably a lesser chance that they're going to win. And yet when you have those strong teams, it's amazing how often they come, if not in first, second or third place. Because of what they've what they've done together. And Man, it's much more entertaining to watch the team that comes in second or third that has worked that way than it is to watch the glory team that has walked off because they've had a, you know, a hot shot do one or two things that is just, you know, great for the moment. But what what's the memorable team? It's the memorable experience and the memorable team is the one that have actually worked together and talked about it and covered each other's strengths and weaknesses and balanced themselves. And that is 100% the boardroom. That is 100% our working environment. Mm -hmm. That can be three people. That can be 20 people. That can be 200 people. That is scalable. But it, it, you have to come in with the right mindset. People have to be willing to play as the underdog. And people have to be willing that they're going to get trounced upon a couple of times and really beaten to a pulp a couple of times through the course of that, possibly by those other you know, in the business world, by competitors that are coming in. But if you know that you're different and you know that you're strong and you know that, and you've got faith in that and faith in each other and you support each other. And when you trip, 
that you don't point fingers, but you actually go, okay, so it sounds so, it sounds so cliche to go, you know, dust mm-hmm. yourself off and pick yourself up. But literally, collectively, guys, take a breath. Let's literally dust ourselves off. Now let's come back at this. You gotta have that leaning in attitude more so because you're you've got the underdog mentality of this is possible. And what's the worst that's gonna happen? Did we create something that was like unique and different? Did we did we knock something out of the park? Did we did we do something that at the end of the day we went home and went it was like the end of the day and I didn't even realize the day had passed because we got so involved in doing this thing. It was actually work became play because it was a crappy day. And yet what we did collectively was just awesome. We're going to have some crappy days and you can't expect it's going to be glory all the time. So it's, it's a hundred percent perspective, a hundred percent mindset, a hundred percent attitude. That's way more. That's like 300% of my mock to already. <laughs> yeah. Didn't say I was good at math. Yeah. Like it's attitude, perspective, yeah. skill. Skill is a part of it. Yeah. Skill, is, skill ain't all of it. Skill isn't even the majority of it. Yeah. Skill, resources, those are one thing, but also the the mindset. I, I can't help but think of... Um, you know, when, when you're on a team that, um, you know, whether it's at work or a, uh, an athletic team, you know, one person's ability to dust themselves off is actually so deeply related to the willingness of others to dust them off. You know, it coming Absolutely. in to support each other. And that's such a critical piece. It, I mean, obviously here at Chrysalis and uh, our companies, we talk about uh, psychological safety, which is simply the extent to which people feel comfortable sharing ideas. Uh, can you share your ideas without being made to feel silly or stupid by your colleagues? And the more you could do that, uh, the more kind of audacious uh, ideas that can be shared. Not that we're going to necessarily do that idea, but the ability to share uh, hopes and dreams and aspirational ideas sets a stage for um, what might be possible on a team. And uh, it encourages others to dream and to push and to be uh, more uh, willing to take risk with their teammates. And and they all have wonderful levels of skill. Uh, it's just the extent to which they feel comfortable kind of dreaming, as you're saying, reaching for the stars. That, that's quite fascinating. <laughs> that's fascinating. And, mm. and willingness to trip and fall. Again, psychological safety. Yeah. You know, if if, if I think you're going to be pissed off at me for tripping and falling and falling short. Uh, I'm just, I'm going to do anything I can do to avoid that situation, which often means curtailing my aspirations. It's just like, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to push that far because then I won't hit the, hit the mark. But, but the opposite is true. If I, if I know I'm going to be supported, I'll take more risk and then we'll learn from our risk or learn from our, failures or successes and and these are all cliche things but i know when i've been on teams where that's true we just do things that are wild we you know we get to create the experience of doing things that we weren't sure if we could do them we were certainly weren't sure how we just you know one step after another ended up being able to accomplish certain things and other teams i know i've been on where that space just wasn't created and and this talented group of people just unable to to as you, you know as you say reach for the stars so yeah boy you're really making me think it's interesting you know something that's in, in, in a, a part of our operating system within chrysalis this raising tensions within a group mm-hmm. now i came from using your decades of traditional trying to herald the type of way that we operate the chrysalis and feeling like a lunatic because people look at you sideways like what do you mean it's not like command and control what do you what do you mean just like putting things out there and open concepting and whiteboarding mm-hmm. and that kind of thing like <laughs> what if it's wrong what if it's and what you know and being judged that creating the environment of safety and trust amongst each other and raising attention with each other. Now think mm-hmm. about it coming in from a, if we haven't created that environment of safety and trust and someone raises attention, 
yeah. the person coming in there, if we either haven't created that environment and or if that person comes in with uh, an, an unwilling attitude, yeah, they've sequestered themselves into a corner and they've already come in sort of defensive. They can see that as a personal attack or yeah. they can see that as you questioning them when in fact – when you're that ch that chattering team that is right. you know covering covering each other's you know blind spots and whatever you're yeah. you're not challenging in a personal it is not a personal thing it is about the work that you're doing together it is about yes. being those eyes and ears it is about raising all boats and it's about raising the conversation and being the being a sounding board for that person to yeah. say well, from my perspective, and you can take or leave it, but from my perspective, yeah. here's something that I'm having with it that there, it may not have been 100% clear to me. And if it's not 100% clear to me, it might not be to somebody else. That person that's come in, if we've created that environment of trust and safety and respect, which they have to participate in, they contribute to that. That's right. We all, we all, 100%, we all have to contribute to that. That's, that's not one person coming in going, bing. There's an environment of trust um, and you know, safety and so I'm on. Leadership you is all. hereby declared, yeah. right? Yeah. It is. It is the. It's, it's quite the opposite. The group, the participants, have to That's come right. in, willing to create that and and not just import that in themselves, but export and share that with the group. Yeah. And assuming that that group has created that, something as simple as attention that is raised then is then just conversational it is not an attack it is not a it is not a thing of failure it is a it is a it's a, it's it's dialogue that the, mm -hmm. is helping raise the group and it's a powerful i've learned from my when i first exposed to the term tension of it being like ooh, that's a <laughs> problem that someone's having right yeah, to no, it I actually being, this is, <laughs> yeah, not, not tensions, that. no. No, I don't have attention. No, I got no tensions with you, Clayton. I yeah. got no tensions, yeah. no. Because I, I got no problems thing. with you. It's, right. But that was my previous <clears throat> world, whereas in, in, in this environment of going, this is a worthy moment of dialogue that we're literally going to commit to words yeah. that we're putting up, that we're sharing, you know, typed out, that we share, talk about, and then go, hey, I've relieved that tension or I've yeah. addressed that tension, that tensions have been addressed and then it just disappears. And, you know, yeah. we all walk away informed, collectively informed by it. But it, it takes that willingness to go. This is, this is one tool in the toolbox with which to have that chatter dialogue yeah. in this environment that I'm going to contribute to, but I've got to come to the table with that and trust that, 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 that the others have come to that same way. And then that mechanism is treated in the way that it's supposed to. It's only, it's a tool. How we use it is how we decide to use it in that moment, in that environment that we're creating with each other. And that's the perspective part. So I'm coming to it with skills. My perspective is coming, you know, you, you're thinking I'm coming with, you know, you and I have come, you know, complementary skills that are going to raise each other's boats. We're going to add a couple more people in the group that are going to do the same thing. So we respect each other in that regard. But we've got to come in with the attitude that I'm going to assume like you do, or I'm just going to lean into this like the guy on the hill. Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to start dancing. I'm going to start trusting. And if I do that, then someone else will, they will naturally do that. And then suddenly we've created this environment and then something like attention, you know, goes back and forth and then it gets resolved and then we walk away and, we we've we've raised the bar a bit well it seems like a great spot uh <clears throat> it seems like a great spot to wrap up our conversation today john i really appreciate your time and uh um look forward to sharing this conversation with with uh with our audience well thank you for your time good stuff all right and we're back and that was Clayton talking to John Edmonds about space, but also so much more. Hey, Clayton, yeah. how did you feel about that conversation? You know, it was really, really energizing, actually. Re-listening to that conversation, I kind of forgot how much we unpacked about uh, John's worldview. It was such a interesting way to use space to, to get at some of the really core principles that uh, 
you know, we think creates such a great framework for our company and, for, and is inviting for people to come in and participate. I thought it was just really insightful and natural and 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 quite fascinating. Uh, I appreciate that you, uh, both of you snuck in the use of Connect. I thought that was some really good product placement. Feels like this episode could be brought to you by Connect. So that was gonna, good to hear. We're going to be calling that code, I think, when it goes to the... Oh! Voice. Here's a little inside inside baseball here. I think we're going to call it code when we go to market. Well, I like that. Well, that's good. Well, <laughs> if you've listened this far, now you know. Uh, yeah, uh, and I thought that was really great. Um, you and I both get to work with John quite a bit, and that's mm-hmm. great. So we have a very good sense of who he is as a person. But I still learned a lot about John from this episode. Uh, and having worked with John for a decent amount of time, I feel like he'd be remiss if we did not talk about the chrysalis values. So, hey, what chrysalis value do you think this episode exemplifies? You know, when we talked about this a little earlier, it was, I'm going to pick constantly becoming. I think constantly becoming is is where we land. This this uh, the sense of uh, uh, continuously learning and advancing our knowledge, uh, exploring. And uh, that's how I kind of saw it landing in terms of our principles. Uh, yours was what? Oh, I'm a big me to we guy, Clayton. Yeah. I got a big yeah. me to we out of there. Uh, a lot yeah. of uh, what for me, I hear John talk about people coming together. You know, even mm-hmm. when you talk about leadership, it's uh, you need people to join in on leadership. So you need to have that second and that third. People come together. And then you end up with a situation where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And there's always a sense of community with John. Uh, And, you know, I think that also might come from why he's such a good marketer. But, hey, who am I to say? I don't know. We yeah. can agree to disagree or agree that we're both right. Either way, no, I think, here I think we there's are. a picture there, though, Benny. It's 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 the the me to we is the input. It's like that's the 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 constantly becoming is a result of the me to we. Like John is demonstrating in this conversation the the his natural interest in creating space for others to participate, and that is such a critical component. That's the me to we part. Is is how do I engage with others? How do I create community? How do I create space for others to be uh, comfortable in sharing their ideas? And that is part of the alchemy that I think lands us at constantly becoming. So it's all. It's all related, Benny. All a Venn diagram. Hey, uh, speaking of connecting with others or bringing mm-hmm. other people together, if you're listening to this podcast and you think, gee whiz, I have a good idea for one, uh, yes. I would invite you to reach out to Clayton or myself and uh, let us know because that's what we're here for. We want to talk to as many people as possible and hear their stories, um, yeah. you know? And if you have any feedback for us, let us know that as well. We're here for it. And with that, as always, you know what, Clayton? Great talking to you. That was a good chat and good call out to invite people to help us unpack Chrysalis. Yeah, that's the thing that we're doing. See you, dude. Okay, bye. Unpacking Chrysalis, the art of being human.